break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 18th of May, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show Bit of a hiatus on the punch-out, but we are back now, and we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. And today, we want to catch you up on some part of the world where there was quite a bit happening while I was out, and that is the Horn of Africa, where tensions have become increasingly high. The Horn of Africa has been one of the global hotspots over the last couple years following the 2020 regime change attempts by the former ruling party of Ethiopia, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, who sought to displace the current government led by Abiy Ahmed and his prosperity party by launching a ruinous war that has left many thousands dead and seen a number of atrocities committed. Despite attempts of the Ethiopian government to de-escalate recently, the current situation seems to hold the possibility of new TPLF offensives in both Ethiopia and against neighboring Eritrea. And, additionally, last Sunday's presidential election in Somalia has raised the stakes regionally and adds its own set of potential issues to the broader regional tinderbox, including the recent announcement by the Biden administration of several hundred troops being deployed into Somalia as part of a so-called anti-terrorism mission. Starting with Ethiopia, in late March, the Ethiopian government declared a humanitarian ceasefire for the second time in the conflict. The move was widely welcomed around the world and came a few months after the Ethiopian government had released several high-ranking prisoners, including one of the top leaders of the TPLF, who had been captured in battle. Unlike the first ceasefire, the TPLF claimed to embrace the March ceasefire but continued to occupy a number of areas, particularly in the Afar region of northern Ethiopia, which they had invaded almost immediately after the first ceasefire in the summer of 2021, massively escalating the conflict. After several weeks, the TPLF did leave a number of these towns and, as residents and journalists have documented, left behind serious destruction of critical infrastructure. Currently, the TPLF seems to be gearing up for another offensive, judging by their own statements and various suppositions by other regional actors. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, for instance, recently noted that they were, quote, concerned about rising tensions and reported sporadic fighting between forces of the Tigray region and the federal government, end quote. A statement that came after the semi-cryptic statement by TPLF head Debritson Gebra Michael that, quote, the final phase of the struggle is commencing. The head of the Amhara security forces in the area of northern Ethiopia, Amhara state that is, also recently announced that they are expecting a renewed offensive in the Walkite area and what many people believe is an attempt to cut a corridor to the Sudanese border to facilitate resupply. 
Notably, the TPLF has also increased its rhetoric against Eritrea heavily, and the Eritrean government has also begun to warn of the possibility of the TPLF, who, by the way, when they led Ethiopia for 30 years, were sworn enemies of Eritrea, that the TPLF may launch a new front along the border between the Tigray region and Eritrea. And this is something the TPLF has actually threatened several times, and they've fired rockets and done other sorts of, of assaults on the Eritrean and around the Eritrean border. Both sides, TPLF and Eritrea, have accused each other in recent days of incursions and shelling. And along those lines, the TPLF has also recently made quite a show of what appear to be brand new artillery pieces on their social media. Further, the accusations from the TPLF and their supporters of a quote-unquote genocide in Tigray have come back with a vengeance recently with major new articles alleging this, that there's a genocide in Tigray in both The Nation and BBC. Now, there are, of course, many elements to this issue, and I encourage you to go back and look at all of the reporting we've done from Ethiopia over the past year or so to address it. But most importantly, for our current purposes, the United Nations Human Rights Commission and a joint investigation with the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, while confirming some of the individual incidents alleged by the TPLF, has declared unequivocally that there is nothing that meets the level of genocide. Further, as we've pointed out many times here, the Ethiopian government itself has accepted some but not all of these findings and has actually put some soldiers on trial for war crimes. As we pointed out before, though, the TPLF has refused to take responsibility for any atrocities, no matter how well documented, that are committed by its own forces and has sought to evade accountability in any way possible for the millions of displaced people its offenses have created, tens of thousands of whom continue to live in squalid conditions and internally displaced persons camps receiving very little aid. Recently, some more of the TPLF actions in this regard have come to light as extensive reporting by academic Ann Fitzgerald and now Reuters has detailed widespread force conscription in Tigray, confirming accounts that have been circulating in Ethiopia for well over a year now. This is all very notable because there is significant focus from international powers, particularly the United States, on claims of an aid blockade on Tigray. This is a massively decontextualized claim. Since the first ceasefire in July of 2021, aid has gone into Tigray State. However, because the TPLF has launched invasions and kept war zones active, including in the Afar region where the main route for aid travels, the amount of aid itself has been limited. And even more so because the TPLF has almost certainly been stealing aid meant for the population for its own military purposes. As we have also reported on extensively here at BT, there are major discrepancies as it concerns the use of aid trucks, the sale of fuel in Tigray, the looting of aid warehouses, and more that all speak to that. USAID, in fact, has said specifically that the TPLF had raided some of their warehouses. Regardless of the veracity of various TPLF claims, the very uptick in the information war in and of itself suggests the preparations for further offensive action as part of the, quote, final stage of the struggle, in their words. And it comports directly with the TPLF playing the role of aggressor during the entire conflict, stalling and avoiding every offered chance for peace and muddying the waters on almost every single issue as it concerns death and destruction. The TPLF also warmly welcomed the election of a new president in Somalia this last Sunday. Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, who had previously served as the president of Somalia from 2012 to 2017, was elected in Somalia out of the legislature. It's an indirect election. The legislators who are also elected indirectly then elect the president. So it's an indirect, indirect election. But nevertheless, Mahmoud has a history of being close to the TPLF and Western powers, and his election has raised many questions. Notably, Mahmoud has been critical of the tripartite alliance between Eritrea, Ethiopia, and Somalia that the previous president of Somalia, Farmajo, had been pursuing. 
In 2020, he wrote an article for Foreign Affairs taking aim at the alliance and saying that it was not beneficial for Somalia at that time. However, he did in that piece note that the overall goal of closer regional unity is in fact or should in fact be a key long-term goal for all the nations of the region. However, since then, he has also been quite critical of the Somali-Eritrean relationship, including the training of elements of the Somali National Army by Eritrea. There are a range of opinions about what all of this means for the future of Somalia and the region, and in many ways, it's too early to tell. But it is clear that the friends of the TPLF and the enemies of Eritrea and Abiy Ahmed's government in Addis Ababa are all cheering for the new president in Somalia and seem to think that his election creates a new opening to pursue regime change in other nations in the Horn of Africa. And on a similar note, on Monday, the day after the election, the United States announced it was returning several hundred troops to Somalia as part of a broader UN-backed effort against al-Shabaab, an insurgency in the country that was essentially created by the U.S.-Ethiopian invasion of 2007 that destabilized the country of Somalia massively. While the U.S., of course, claims it is doing this simply to help Somalia, the fact is, since the early 1990s, U.S. military interventions have only deepened the conflict and divisions in the country. The U.S. has been tacitly backing attempts at regime change in Ethiopia in a range of ways, including using sanctions, and more of those are actually in the pipeline in Congress right now, to attempt to force Ethiopia to negotiate on the TPLS terms. Increasing its troop presence in Somalia, the United States that is, means increasing something known as quote-unquote interoperability. That's integration between U.S. forces and elements of the Somali National Army. In the American, quote-unquote, national defense strategy, that's where the U.S. lays out the sort of broader plans they have for trying to control the world with their massive military machine, interoperability is presented as a key tool of the U.S. military to leverage U.S. interest in various regions of the world. So it seems likely that this is exactly what's happening here. The U.S. is seeking to use the alleged anti-terrorist mission to gain more leverage in the region more broadly. As Ethiopian cabinet ministers have confirmed with BT News, the Americans too seriously dislike the tripartite alliance between Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Somalia, and we can expect they will use this new leverage or attempt to use this new leverage to further weaken that alliance and as another pressure point on Ethiopia to embrace the negotiations with the TPLF against the will of the vast majority of the Ethiopian population, which, through a mass protest movement, forced the TPLF out of power in 2018. In sum, the situation in the Horn of Africa appears to be at another dire inflection point. The basic reality comes down to this. Since 2018, the major countries of the Horn have pursued policies more independent and self-determining than what Western powers would want in such a geostrategic region. And an old U.S. proxy force sought to take advantage of that to launch a regime change effort, tacitly backed by those same powers, and that has led to massive death and destruction. Despite the initial thrust of this regime change effort failing, it seems there's a regroupment on the way that through a combination of meddling, U.S. troops, information warfare, and sanctions is looking to restart the attempt to seek either regime change or massive destabilization in Ethiopia and Eritrea to prevent the consolidation of any possible anti-hegemonic, anti-imperialist, or really just different than what they want in Washington and Brussels sort of trends. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. 
And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.